Welcome to our series on the book of Hebrews. In this study, lead pastor Tim Brooks and associate pastor Paul Kern will be sharing life-impacting truths. The Gospels reveal what Jesus did on earth. But now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and entered into heaven, what does he do? What role does he play? And how does that affect our lives today? These questions and more will be explored in this informative and revealing 10-part series. Now, join lead pastor Tim Brooks. Well, we're welcoming you to the fifth lesson in our study of Hebrews. And in this lesson, we want to look at chapter 8. So turn to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is all about a better covenant. Uh, God cut covenant with Abraham, the father of the Hebrews. After their deliverance from Egypt, God established the law through Moses of how that covenant that he established with Abraham would work. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, a new covenant was sent. This was not an easy change. This was not an easy change. Very difficult for God's kids to change over 2,000 years of here's how we did this. Here is how we approach God. Now what do we do? Now how does this work? Now how do we live? And working out the details and the understanding of the new covenant was, is very difficult. No longer a need for a priest where that had been everything. Where that had been, you did not talk to God. You went to the priest and he talked to God for you. And now to say we don't need that, uh, what do I do? I mean, what do I do? The Holy of Holies was just, my goodness, that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the meeting place with God, now now we don't need, where does that leave me? Jesus is now, this is difficult time. This is a difficult time. And we all, each one, no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, I want you to know, and for everybody in here, oh, Tim, you don't know my past. Tim, if you knew my past, you wouldn't even let me come to this church. You wouldn't let me in here. I would tell me, here's what we're going to talk about. That doesn't make any difference to the new covenant. The new covenant does not hinge on you. And however bad you have been, whatever sin or sins however gargantuous they are, you can boldly enter into the presence of God through Jesus for yourself. And and we've somehow got to get this. Hebrews is vital. Hebrews is vital. I, um, I don't know if I'm glad Paul and I are sharing this time or not because I want to preach every time. And I know he feels the same way. I can't wait till my turn again. I can't wait till my turn, turn again because what we're talking about is the essence of the Christian life. The four Gospels clearly are very vital because they show and teach us what Jesus did here on this earth. Hebrews is very vital because it is showing us what the resurrected Jesus is now doing. And I, yeah, we, we celebrate Easter and he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Well, what's he doing? I don't think our minds go 
to what is he doing right now? What does he do every day? I, I don't think we grasp that. We celebrate and have a big day on Easter but I don't, because he conquered death, but I don't think we receive the impact of what he is doing for me right now every day. Because when you receive the impact of that, it changes everything about your life. It changes everything about your life. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Here's the main point. I bet you wish Paul and I would have gotten to this a long time ago. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. We have a superior high priest to the old covenant who sits right beside the majestic God in heaven, the tabernacle, the true place of worship, not built by human hands. So that means the tabernacle is not here on earth. The tabernacle is in heaven where Jesus is sitting. Do you see what he's saying? Now, I want you to underline the two most important words in the whole Bible are in verse 1. Underline, sat down. Those are the two most important words in the whole Bible. That, has, that means everything to you and I. And you've got to get the impact when he wrote, he sat down. To understand that, you, you've got to, and I, you know, I, in hindsight, we probably should have done a couple of months teaching on the tabernacle and the function of the tabernacle and how it works. Because if you don't really understand that, then you miss so much of what Hebrews is saying because the tabernacle is our blueprint. All right, so go back in, in, into what you do know and what you do remember about the tabernacle. But there were no chairs in there. There were no chairs in the tabernacle because the work of the priest was never finished. It was an ongoing work, so it was not a place to sit down. So the priest ministering for you in the tabernacle was an ongoing work, and there was no chairs in the tabernacle. There was no place for the priest to sit. See, the blood of animals was only a temporary covering for our sin, so when it's temporary, it's ongoing. You're always sacrificing an animal for covering of your sin of what you just did. So it's an ongoing process. So in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist is out baptizing, and he turned and said, when he turned and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The most powerful statement that had been said since the creation of the world. We, ha we don't take away the sins of the world. You just cover them. You do the best you can to sacrifice an animal and cover your sin. So when John turned and pointed his finger at Jesus walking down there to that riverbank, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. 
See, atonement is never mentioned in the New Testament. The word atonement means to cover. Jesus did not cover your sin. Jesus didn't just sort of hide your sin. He did away with your past. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it means everything when you read Jesus sat down. The most important word, two words in the Bible. When he went into the tabernacle, he sat down. What does that mean? It's finished. It's finished and it's complete. So I want you to understand the importance of Jesus sitting down in that tabernacle. It's a done deal. It is a done deal. It says the place of honor beside God. I, 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 we got to hurry. I can't go to everywhere. Go to Psalms or just let me read it to you. I, I just get blown away by the word. And, and I think, oh, you got to see this. And you don't have time to see this. Well, we got to make time. Psalms. This is a long time before Jesus came. This is a long time before Jesus came. 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. You see, God, his plan of salvation with Jesus in the making since Cain and Abel. And what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what's going to happen. And it's prophesied over and over and over throughout Scripture. Now, you have to get this. Not only did the old covenant high priest never sat down. Here's what I want you to look at this in verse 1. He never sat on that throne. He, the, high priest, the earthly high priest, he never sat on that throne. And so when Jesus sat down, that is of huge importance. And then when it says he sat down on the throne, signifying who he is and what he had done. Who he is and what he did. Now, only a priest, and, and I, I can't go back and reteach. If you hadn't been here the last several weeks, you've got to go back and get the podcast. We can't go back into the order of Melchizedek, but it had to be king and had to be priest. So you had to get what we've been talking about, the order of Melchizedek. And we saw this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. And we saw this in Psalms 110, verse 4. What we're seeing here in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 8. Clearly a superior covenant. Chapter 7, verse 17. Go back up there real quick. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Jesus, the perfect high priest, would not be limited by a law that makes nothing perfect. Now, here is the problem with the law, and we never could understand it. Well, are you doing away with the law? No, I came to fulfill the law. We, we can't seem to get the law and grace, and we can't seem to get a handle on that. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is really good. It just depends on you keeping it, of which we couldn't. 
See, the law is really good. It just depends on you keeping it. And I just, I wanted to do right, but I couldn't. The very thing I found that I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the very thing I hate, I find myself doing it. I didn't come up with that. It's that in Romans. I don't want you, boy, Tim, he's on a roll. I'm just quoting scripture. For those that don't know the Bible, you were really impressed with what I was doing right there. This is a new covenant that we have with God. All right, now the next point, let me, let's go on. Verse 3. I'm hurrying and you think I'm not. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifice, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy of the shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on this mountain. Uh, the writer here of Hebrews is expounding on the truth that he said in verse 1 and 2 that Jesus is ministering in a heavenly sanctuary. And it's a pattern. As you would go to the priest, the priest would go in to the tabernacle to minister to God for you. That is what is happening in heaven. You go to Jesus who ministers to God, who ministers to God on behalf of you. By the way, when you pray, you, you don't pray to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I pray. You don't pray to Jesus. You pray to God through Jesus. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. See, you, you don't go to God. You go to God through Jesus because Jesus is now your priest. So, Father God, I come to you now in the mighty name of Jesus, and I, and you begin your prayer. But you go, that is your entrance into God, what Jesus did. Now, once again, the readers knew there was a real temple in Jerusalem. They knew that the priest offered gifts and sacrifices and because of that, it would be easy to go back into the traditional Mosaic system. The thought here is, Jesus is our high priest. A high priest offers gifts and sacrifices in the sanctuary. So Jesus evidently has a sanctuary, since he is our high priest. Since Jesus is in heaven, then the sanctuary must be in heaven. So that's how verse 1 through verse 5 all ties together. This is what took place in the Old Covenant. So that same thing is taking place in the New Covenant just in a temple not made by hands. Verse 3, what is Jesus offering? It says he offers a sacrifice. What is he offering? Jesus offered the sacrifice of his death on the cross. Jesus offered his death on the cross. Verse 4, and we, we've already taught this. I don't want to go all back into this. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, not the priestly line. The priestly line was the line of Levi. So for him to be a priest, he had to come through the tribe of Levi, but he came through the tribe of Judah. We don't have time, but go to Genesis chapter 49. I got to show you this. Genesis 49. It, the, you got to study the whole. See, you can't just read one chapter of the Bible. You got to tie it into the whole word of God. You got to go from Genesis and tie the whole thing in for it to make sense. Gen, now, Genesis. Remember when Genesis was? It's a long time before we're reading now. Genesis chapter 49, get this. Verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. 
All your relatives will bow down before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating his prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Well, you completely missed that. You read Genesis, you don't have a clue what that just said, unless you know what Hebrews said. But whenever you see that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, but it was the tribe of Levi that brought into the, 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 uh, that carried all the priests, then you see right here in Genesis chapter 49 a prophecy being laid out in a description of Jesus coming thousands of years before he got here. It's amazing, amazing. Now, <clears throat> Psalms 110, Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 5, a copy, a shadow, a type. The Old Testament is a picture in the natural of what happens in the New Testament. And as the Old Testament people in history were being, that was being lived out. You remember the exodus and you remember the putting the blood of the doorpost on the doorpost, the angel of death passing over and the eating of the bitter herb. You remember the whole story there. That is a blueprint of our salvation. See, that, that, that is a picture of the salvation that Jesus was going to come and bring. So all of this, boy, you read Exodus, you're talking about some boring reading. If you want to be bored reading the Bible, you need to read Exodus chapter 25 all the way through the end of Exodus. This, this loop of this dimension, this loop of that dimension, this cubit of this side, this cubit of that side. The rings, and the rings are made of gold, and are overlaid with, on and on and on and on and on and on and on about the building of the tabernacle. My word, why we got to read 20 chapters of this is very important. It is very important because that would be the description of the dwelling place of God. That would be the portrait that God... Why is that important in the Old Testament? Because it is a natural, tangible picture of what right now today is happening in heaven. We can't see what Jesus is doing, but I got a picture of it. I've got a blueprint of it as I read the Old Testament and I see the priest working in the tabernacle, or which then became the temple. It is a picture. And it shows us in the natural of what now is happening in the realm of the spiritual. Exodus 25, 40 is quoted here in chapter 8, verse 5. Moses saw this pattern on the mountain, and God had Moses duplicate this in an earthly form so that we could see what was going to happen in the new covenant with Jesus. Now, uh, and we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. You can see these scriptures where it reveals this. Now, why depend on a priest who, or priests who are serving in a copy or an example? When you can be ministered to by Jesus, who is in the heavenly sanctuary. So why continue to go back to that? Why continue to go back to that? All right, first of all, it's ministered by a superior priest, Jesus. Second, it's ministered in a, in a superior place in heaven, not built by human hands. The third point here, let's read chapter 8, verse 6. The third point is the new covenant is founded on better promises. 
chapter 8, verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, then when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people." And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. You can read Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. You can read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 if you want to study some more about this. The better covenant is referred to in this paragraph was previously announced by Jeremiah in chapter 31. So that is why that is indented in your Bible. He is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31 as Jeremiah prophesied about what is taking place here in Hebrews. Now we're looking at the better covenant few quick scriptures, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. So my goodness, we're flipping on. Well, this is Bible study. That's what you do in a Bible study. You study the Bible. All right. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said to this, this is the, what? This is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I can just imagine the disciples' heads were bowed, and all of a sudden they all look up. What? did he just say? What did he just say? A new covenant between God and his people. A new covenant. And here's the way this one's going to work. It's going to work on my blood. Wow. Flip over a few pages to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23. On the night when he was betrayed, Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to it for God. He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after service, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood. Go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. That's why... He is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised for them. Chapter 12, verse 24. 
chapter 12, verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. If you look up the word mediate in the dictionary, the dictionary says mediate is to settle a dispute. When we've got two people and they can't come to terms, whether it's over a business deal or a contractual agreement or whatever, you've got two parties here, you bring in a third party that mediates between these and settles the dispute. See, there is a dispute between a sinful man and a perfect holy God. We got an impassable gap. We have come to the end of our table and we cannot bring these two sides together. We got a perfect holy God and we've got sinful man and there is no bringing them together. That's why we have to have a mediator, one in between and that is exactly what Jesus does. He mediates the new covenant. Now, as we move forward here to look at the better promises of this new covenant, look in verse 7 and 8. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, God didn't find fault with the first covenant. There, there was nothing wrong with the first covenant. First covenant was fine. The problem was it was with the people. It was, God didn't have a problem with the old covenant, so he had to do away with it to bring in the new covenant. God had no problem with the old covenant. It was us that had a problem with the old covenant. We couldn't keep it. We could not keep all of the laws. And so God had a problem with the people, not the covenant. So God comes in with a new covenant that bypasses people. Now, I want you to look at something very interesting. Underline these words in verse 10. I will. Look at this. Verse 10. I will. I, three times in verse 10. I will. I will. I will. In these verses 8 through 12, I've got underlined I will six times. Here's what I... See, this new covenant does not depend on people. It depends on God. And God said, I will do it this time. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. See, now this is key. You have to get this. The new covenant depends not on what you did, but on what God does. Verse 9, God took them by the hand. God let them out. But the nation failed. They did not continue in the covenant. God didn't find fault with the covenant. Romans chapter 7, verse 12 said the law is holy. The problem was not with the law. The problem was with the people. The law was good. It just could not change people. We talk about this all the time. Parents, don't put the law on your teenager. It won't change them. You're not going to change your teenager by the law. You're not going to do it. You're not going to change people by the law. God re, God gives them a new heart. God brings in a new covenant. And this is a heart condition that can only be handled by a condition of the heart changing, not by a law. Hebrews 7, 19. For the law never made anything perfect. It only 
And, and you can read this. If we had time, we'd look at it. The law was our schoolmaster. The law kept us. It, it babysat us while we were waiting on Jesus. That's what it did. Now, the shooting in Las Vegas, horrible, horrible, horrible. A horrible event in our nation's history. And every time we see an event such as this, we are inundated by the need to pass a law. We are inundated by the need and demanding that Congress pass a law, demanding that our president pass a law, the demand of our country to pass a law without anybody ever raising their hand and saying, I thought we already had a law that made shooting everybody wrong. It's not like we don't already have a law that makes it illegal if you shoot somebody. There are countless laws that were broken when that guy took all of those guns up into the hotel and began to spray bullets down on a crowd of people. There is a long list of laws that were broken, but our answer is pass another law. The law only controls people who keep the law. That's the only thing that the law does. It only controls people who will keep the law. But if you are going to break the law, then passing one more law, 57 more laws, is not going to protect anybody because, verse 19, the law never made anything perfect. So more laws is not the answer. There is a law in place right now that makes it illegal for me in my fit of rage, in my fit of anger, to just reach back here behind the drums and pull out a machine gun and just start spraying bullets and shooting y'all until somebody shoots me. There's already a law against that. But here's what I want you to know. That law is not keeping me from doing it. That law is not constraining me. There is a law that says I can't do that but if I wanted to, that law would not constrain me. What is keeping me from doing that is only one thing. My heart. My heart. And so for you teen challenge guys, it's not a law that's going to make you do right. And we pass laws and put laws on you and we put laws on you and we can get people to watch over you and we can get people to monitor you and we can follow you around and my but it's until you have a heart change. And you can be in this center and go away wall and come back in another center and go away wall and come back. And you do that your whole life. But until you have a heart change, I don't want to do that. So laws, verse 19, the law doesn't make anything perfect. And so putting a bunch of laws on you is not going to keep anything perfect. You have to have an understanding of the new covenant. And we've got to move you somehow from life still under the old covenant, being controlled by the police and controlled by the law and controlled by your superintendents and control, move you from life under the old covenant to life under the new covenant where you're born again. Where Jesus becomes Lord 
and you have an appetite change. And what was fun and what was luring and what was inviting and what was you want, I don't have a taste for that anymore. And that's what Jesus did for the world. Sinful people don't need another law because they are lawbreakers. Sinful people don't need another law. Sinful people have to have a new heart. Second Peter says we are partakers of a divine nature. And by nature, sinful people are disobedient, and so they have to have a new nature, and the law can't do that for you. The law cannot do that for you. The law is just simply a guardian to hold you as best we can until you can come to the place where you have a new heart, where a heart of stone is changed to a heart of flesh. God's grace makes the new covenant possible. And here's the good news. We talk about the good news, the good news of the gospel. Here is the good news. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't keep it. He gave it to us. And you can be born again because of what God did. Nothing to do with what you did. But still today, it's as hard for people to grasp the new covenant as it was when Hebrews was penned. It's as hard for people to get a hold of this. Because on a very regular basis, when I invite somebody to church, and you can hear this when you invite somebody to church, you'll hear this exactly like I do. When you invite somebody to church, you'll hear one of two things. Number one, if I came to your church, Tim, the walls would fall in. You don't have no idea about what all I've done. Or you're going to hear this. Hey, man, I'd love to have you come to church. Well, now, Tim, I'm a, I'm a good person. Man, I, hey, hey, I want you to know I, maybe I'm not perfect, but I, I try, I'm trying, Tim, I'm trying. This is not the old covenant. It has nothing to do with how bad you've been or how good you're trying to do. See, we have just as much trouble today grasping the message of Hebrews and the power of the new covenant as they did when Hebrews was written. It's a gift from God that he did. And all you do is come to the place in life where you say, I'm at the end of my rope and I receive what you did for me. And your whole life changes. Verse 11. They'll not need to teach their neighbors or they'll need to teach their relatives, saying, you shall know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When you read remember no more in the Bible, God doesn't have amnesia. It's not like he can't remember. And when you and I are told you got to forgive You're not asked to have amnesia. You will always remember. But that word remember no more means it has no bearing on you. It has no effect. I remember what they did to me. 
I remember how they treated me. I remember what they said to me. I remember what they said about me. I remember it. But the hurt, the pain, the anger, the hatred, the bitterness, it's gone. It's gone. I remember it. I hadn't forgotten it. I, hadn't, I don't have amnesia. I still remember what was said. But I don't have the hurt and the bitterness and the anger. How do we do this? How do we do this? We do it by receiving His grace and His mercy. How do we forgive other people? Just by the simple awareness of how much you've been forgiven. By how much you've been forgiven. Whether it's with a business partner, whether it's co-workers, whether it's husband and wife relationship. The times when I get so upset with Terry and I'm so angry at her, all I got to do is remember what all she has to be mad at me about, what all she has to be upset with me about. And since she's forgiven me and let stuff go, I'm going to forgive her and let this go. See, it's you forgive others as you've been forgiven. And you live at peace with one another, not in perfection with one another. You live at peace. Verse 13. The devout, religious, Pharisee, Sadducees, they were not buying into the new covenant. Verse 13, it is now out of date and will soon disappear. Just a few short years after this was written, 70 A.D. to be exact, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and the Holy of Holies, all that was involved in carrying out all of this, uh, all of this sacrifice was completely destroyed by the Romans. The temple and the Holy of Holies was wiped off the face of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and has never been rebuilt since. Verse 13, only a few years after those words were penned. The new covenant can never get old. It never gets old. I looked this up. This was interesting. Verse 13 the word new, we talk about the new covenant, new covenant, new covenant, the word new in the Greek. I looked up the word new. And you know, it did not mean new in time. And I always thought it meant, well, the old covenant was older, the new covenant was, it's not a time. This is new, meaning I just bought this today. Had nothing to do with time. New means in quality. Very interesting. In the Greek, it talked about in quality. It'll never be old. In quality, it'll never be replaced. This new covenant depends on a perfect God, not on an imperfect man. And I want to end with this. And here's what I, I, here's what I want to end Hebrews with when we finally get to the end of this. Here's what I want for our church. Here's what I want for the individuals in our church. I want you to always know. I want you to always know. I want you to live knowing Whatever happens in the economy, whatever happens, whoever is elected to be president, whatever happens in the Middle East, whatever bombs are tested, whatever you see on the news, I want you to live with the complete understanding I'm in the new covenant. And what is taking place in heaven between Jesus and God on my behalf is not altered by the front page of the USA Today. And so since what is happening for me in heaven is not altered by breaking news alert, why should I be altered by breaking news alert? Father God, 
in the name of Jesus, I come to you boldly in your throne. And regardless of what I just saw on the news, it doesn't alter a thing that's taking place in heaven. And my confidence is in my covenant with you. Y'all stand. Father, tonight we're just, we're so grateful to you for bypassing us and our inadequacies to fulfill the new covenant. And Lord, tonight we receive what you did and we receive what you are now doing for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Our prayer is that you will experience Jesus in greater ways. If you would like to learn more about how to give to the ministry of CMC, please go to cmchurch.com giving. Thank you for listening today and God bless you.